Avengers Endgame, it has raised, raised, I should say, uh, it has <laughs> taken from us 2.8, <laughs> and gladly on my part, let's be honest, 2.8, just shy of $2.8 billion worldwide. $2.8 billion. Avatar is $10 million behind. It's, it's no big deal. It's fine. You know. $2.8 billion. The video game industry, which has connections with superhero movies, the video game industry, I found this stat out. Consumers spent in 2018 $43.5 billion on gaming. $43.5 billion were spent on gaming in 2018. I was also a part of that as well. I contributed to that. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And it just got me thinking, what is happening that we're spending $2.8 billion on a movie and tens of billions of dollars on gaming? And I think, my wife is a professional counselor, so I am not, but I think, based off of my own experience and observing others, I think that for guys and girls who are into gaming, into movies like this, there's something inside of us that is longing to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves and that includes triumph over evil. There's something inside, there's something inside of us that says, Mm, I want to see something like this. A team gathered and destroying evil. I want to be a part of something, even if it's controlling with my thumbs. I want to be a part of something where I see evil destroyed. I cut my teeth on the original Nintendo. <laughs> playing Mario Brothers. Which your entire point there is rescuing Princess Peach, who has been kidnapped. The other game that I loved was a game called Contra, C-O-N-T-R-A. In Contra, you are eliminating an alien horde that is coming to destroy the planet. Everyone's like, yeah. All the men, yeah. There's something inside of us that says, I want to be a part of a mission of something that is significant and has value and actually changes and helps the people around me. I believe the reason that's there is it's a shadow of the reality of the kingdom. It's a shadow of the reality of the kingdom. The reason we have this longing and we are willing to spend, including myself, this money is because we want to be a part of something. And I'm submitting to you today the parable that we're looking at and the words of Jesus are saying to us, you can be a part of something significant. And you have been called, and you have been equipped, and you are being invited into the greatest adventure and mission ever. Better than the Avengers, better than Contra, better than Mario Brothers. So let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 13 Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 and 52, we're looking at the parable of the homeowner. Matthew 13, 51 and 52. Here we go. Jesus said, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven 
is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Father, I thank you for your word. I ask that you will just speak, that you would give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see what you are saying to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Big idea of the parable, the adventure and the mission that every one of us is longing for is found in the kingdom of God, and we are called to get into this game. We are called to be a part of it, and this text actually shows us what we're to do. Four observations from the text. Number one, the patient king and guide. We're going to talk about this patient king, what he's like. Secondly, the kingdom transformation that's at play. Thirdly, the new and old treasure. That's an interesting thing that he brings up. And then finally, kingdom impact. So let's begin. The patient king and guide. The truth is this. King Jesus is patient with us. And he is happy to guide us when we don't understand. The context, just so that you know what's happening, all of chapter 13 is Jesus speaking parable after parable after parable. And it's interesting, in verse 36, it says, Then he left the crowds and went into a house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. They didn't understand what he was saying. He's teaching, and they don't understand. And what's amazing about this is Jesus takes time and explains it. Then he tells a couple of other parables, parable of the hidden treasure, verse 44, parable of the pearl of great price, 45, parable of the net, starting in verse 47. Then in 51, we get to this point, Jesus says, have you understood these things? And the disciples say, yep, no problem. Which is funny, isn't it? Some of you are like, no, they said yes, why are you being weird about it? Because classically, the disciples, we see this throughout the Gospels, that classically the disciples are never getting it. They're not getting it. In fact, uh, later in chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, Are you still without understanding? Ouch. Chapter 16, 9, he says, Oh, you of little faith, do you not understand? James and John in the book of Luke are like, Jesus, can we call down the fire and kill these people now? He's like, No. <laughs> They don't understand. I just, I, just want, I just want us to just marvel for a second that Jesus is patient and kind with these disciples. And guess what? He's also very patient and kind with you and I. Because we don't understand like we think we do. We think we're smart. But we ain't that smart. And he's patient with us. And he's kind with us. But what blows my mind is even though they don't get it, you know what he does? Jesus goes, all right, I'm ascending to the Father. Y'all take over. See ya. So he takes a ragtag group that don't understand, and he entrusts them with the entire mission. <laughs> he does the same for you and I. But he doesn't just leave us alone. He actually sends his spirit to guide us and to teach us all things. So just some practical application questions, just as you're thinking about this observation. Ask yourself the question, what do I think I understand about the kingdom that I actually don't? And second question, am I ignoring the guide who has been given to me? Book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, says this, If any of you lacks wisdom... 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. I had a friend, he was uh, serving uh, in, in, a, in a marketplace company and the owner of that company was a Christian and they were sitting in staff meeting and they were discussing whether they should merge with another uh, company that was offering, hey, let's merge, let's come together, let's partner. And they were sitting in staff meeting and it just got real honest <laughs> where the, the owner of the company said, you know, I think we need to pray on this. So they went home, left it, left it on the table. Uh, that week, that owner actually had a dream. And in the dream, uh, the Lord indicated to him that this owner that they were going to partner with was actually up to no good <laughs> and that it would actually bring destruction to his company if they partnered. So the next staff meeting comes up. The business owner says, okay, this is the dream that I had. This is a true story. This is the dream that I had. They, made, they discussed it. They made dis- the decision based off of his dream not to partner. Within six months, that business that they were going to partner in came into legal problems because of some illegal shady business they were doing. And that person was arrested, actually. And had they joined, they would have been in big trouble. I'm just, I'm I'm instigating something for us. That Jesus has given us a guide and a counselor to explain things to us. And not just for church stuff, but also for your business. Also for your family. Like, how do I parent my kids? You know, Jesus will speak to you about that. The guide will tell you. He will give revelation to you. He will speak to you. I was thinking about this illustration. Imagine that um, you wanted to go to London. Like England was like, you want to go to London. I want to see Big Ben. I want to see all these historical sites. Let's say that you saved up your money and that you booked one of those tours on the big red double-decker bus. You know what I'm talking about? And it doesn't have the roof on it. It's just like the open air roof. And you, you saved all your money. You're there. You want to see Big Ben. You get up on the top so you can see everything, and you've got the guide, and he's got the little microphone. And if you look to the right, you're right, okay? They're talking in the microphone. And let's say that you get up there, and then you pop your headphones in, and then you start Googling and asking Siri about Big Ben, while the guide is explaining about Big Ben. And like, I wonder, I wonder what year it was built. I wonder what kind of materials it did. And you got these headphones in, and you're completely disengaged while the guide is telling you and is speaking out all of the information you're trying to find. Wouldn't that be ridiculous, right? I know it's a ridiculous example. And yet, that's what we do all the time with God, who is speaking to us about all the things going on in our life. And we're like, oh, Siri knows best. Siri, how do I parent my kids? Siri, what should I do? Actually, we have, we have the literal genius of the universe who created all things. We have the spirit of the living God dwelling within us as believers. And he is speaking and happy to give revelation about everything going on in our lives. John 16, 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, he's called the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. John 14, 26. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We have the living God dwelling within us. Why don't we just ask him? 
why don't we just ask him? Why don't we just stop? Stop being so smart and just ask him. Ask for revelation. When you don't understand, get in the word, ask him. So the truth there, King Jesus is patient with us and happy to guide us. We just need to ask him. Second observation is kingdom transformation. And it's in verse 52. He said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. He says, every scribe. The truth is this, in Jesus' kingdom, everyone gets to hear his voice and everyone gets to lead others in what they've heard. He says, every scribe, the word scribe is specifically referring to the Old Testament teachers of the law. So you had these guys, they were going to seminary, they were getting their PhD in Old Testament law, and they were standing in, in a, a mediator role. So if, if in this time period, if you didn't know what the text said and how to apply the text for your life, you would go to the scribe who's written it down and knows the answer. So you go to the scribe, the scribe tells you what to do. You're like, yes, awesome. And then you go do it. But Jesus here is doing something different. He's actually um, redefining this concept of a teacher and a leader. Because everyone in the community looked at the scribe as the one to go to to find out what is God saying. There's a limited number of them. Like in the Old Testament, the presence of God would only come upon certain people at certain times. Maybe a prophet. Maybe a judge. Maybe a king. And the presence of God would rest on that person and that person would lead and everyone would want to hear from God from that person. Y'all following what I'm saying? But see, Jesus redefines what that means. He redefines kingdom leadership. Kingdom leadership is not, I got to go find the one person who has the spirit of God on them. But kingdom leadership is actually, we can all hear his voice and we can all lead others. Because look at the text. I'm not, I'm not playing games here. He says, therefore, every scribe, everyone say every. Every scribe. Every scribe. But it's not just teachers of the law. He defines it. Every scribe who has been trained. That phrase uh, comes from the word for disciple. So it would be like saying, every scribe who has been discipled. Who has been discipled. Who has been taught. And taught what? Trained for the kingdom of heaven. Interesting. The curriculum is the kingdom of heaven, but it's actually not just curriculum. It's an actual culture that we're being trained in. Listen, listen, this is good. An Old Testament scribe, an Old Testament scribe is looking for information about the kingdom. Whereas in a New Testament concept where we're all scribes, we're not looking for information about the kingdom. We're looking to be transformed by the kingdom. Y'all hear me? There's, some, there's a big difference between that. One's information, the other is transformation. And listen, I'm a school guy. I love studying. I love reading. I love the text. I love exegeting the text. I love this stuff. But if I'm not being transformed by it, it's worthless. Jesus says every scribe who has been trained not in information about the kingdom, but by the kingdom. You can see it. It's so good. I'm not being trained about the kingdom of God. I'm being trained by the kingdom of God. He's emphasizing that in this new thing that he came and inaugurated, we all get to be leaders in the kingdom. So 
So some practical questions as we're thinking about this observation. A couple practical questions. Number one, to ask yourself, is my life being transformed by the king? Just ask you, is my life being transformed? Am I content to receive information without being transformed? Am I being changed by the Spirit of God as I study the Word? Study is not enough. And from a Bible guy, that's hard, that's hard for some people to hear. Study is not enough. God is after transformation. So here's, here's a way to illustrate this. Jess was in the first service, so I was able to point to her. But let's imagine that Jess wrote love letters to me. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> love letters. Let's say that she wrote 66 love letters. Let's say that she wrote 39 love letters while we were dating, before we were married. And let's say that she wrote 27 love letters after we got married. Okay, And I got these love letters, and I'm so excited about them that I bind them together in a large binder. I got 39 letters before we got married, 27 letters after we got married. I got them in a binder. Then I walk over to my closet, and I open the door, because that's where my wife is sitting, in the closet. And I pull up a chair... I set it in front of the closet door. I grab my stopwatch. I set it for 15 minutes. Click. And then I begin to read these love letters. Mmm, that's good. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. This is, this is amazing. I maybe even try to memorize some of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Stopwatch goes off. Great. Slam the door. Walk off. And that's the basis of my relationship with my wife. Anybody think I need counseling or our marriage might? Anybody? Carlos, yeah. yeah. And yet, this is what we do with God most every day. I'm going to give you 15 minutes to read the love letter that you've given to me. I'm going to pick one out because Jamie and some leader of mine said I got to read 15 minutes a day. Click. I'm going to read it. Click. Done. Got it. This is not the way the kingdom works. That has nothing to do with relationship. The reason we have these words is because the God who authored these words loves us and wants intimacy and relational connection with us as we read it. So I don't, I'm not going to take 15 minutes of reading this but not engage with my the one who loves me. He loves me and gave himself for me. And I get to read about it. And I get to grow in relational intimacy and connection with him as I read it. That's what I'm talking about, information versus transformation. It's reading for a Bible study rather than reading for relational intimacy. Yes, memorize scripture. I'm all for it. But memorize it with Jesus right next to you. Like as you read, Jesus is next to you. He's pointing out the text. The spirit of the living God is saying, I, I inspired Peter to write that. Isn't it so cool? How about when you get to the text, you're like, I don't understand this. Why did you write that? Why did you write this genealogy? I don't understand why there's a genealogy. This is so boring. Benaniah and Fradadai and blah, 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 blah. I don't know. <laughs> but the Spirit of the living God is there to say, this is why I wrote this. 
Are y'all getting? Are you getting one? Sorry. Okay. Okay. So the truth is, I grow in kingdom leadership and influence as I grow in relational intimacy with God the Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the Word. Third observation, the new and old treasures. Because there's an interesting thing here. Theologians are not um, on the same page. There's disagreement on what, what this means. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. My, my view on what he's saying here, based off of what Jesus does, because Jesus does things like this. He says, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you. Have you remember that? Jesus will say, you've heard this, but I tell you this. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I came to fulfill them. So Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, is presenting a scenario where there is an old thing that's not going to get abolished and just split apart. It's going to be fulfilled with this new thing. That's how Jesus presents the kingdom. He says, you've heard it was said, but I tell you. So I believe what he's saying here is the kingdom of God has come onto an old thing that is still valuable and good and should be cherished and honored. And it points to a new thing that is also really, really good. You see it? We could call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I'm just, I just want to take a side note. I think sometimes uh, because of the iPhone or technology in general... Um, we think that if, if something is called old, that means it's bad and we should get the newer version of it. Y'all with me? There's an, actually an entire (laughs) movement of like, Hey, let's just get rid of the old Testament. Let's unhinge ourselves from the old Testament and let's just stick with the red letters. That's a bunch of garbage. It's a bunch of garbage. Thirty-nine books before she married me, twenty-seven love letters after we were married. It's the same story, friends. It's the same story. The new and old treasures. Okay, I gotta move. Fourth observation. Fourth observation. Kingdom impact. The truth is this the kingdom leader who is growing in both old truths and new truths while encountering Jesus in the word, impacts those around them by liberally giving these treasures away. Look at the text. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. So picture it. Now we have a host situation, and guests are coming over, and there's the master of the house. Like the master of the house who brings out of his treasure. That word treasure is referring contextually to a storeroom that you would, like maybe down in the basement where you would keep all the precious valuables. So it says, this master of the house goes down to his treasured storeroom and he brings out old and new treasures. But it's listen, it's not for display. It's not like, look at all my treasures. It's, look at these treasures, have some. That's the picture. It's not display, it's distribution. Y'all following? So he's coming to old and new treasures. And he's like, here you go. Because it's awesome. They're treasures. They're treasures. They're treasures. And what's great about the kingdom is you cannot run out of this treasure. You can't. You can't exhaust it. You can keep giving it away. 
and you're not going to run out. Treasures. The big idea is that the kingdom of God is about leadership where we're engaging with the word, encountering Jesus, building, storing treasures, and then teaching and giving it away to others. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded to you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The host has treasure stored up so he can give it away. So, have you been storing up treasure in the Word? Have you been developing this intimacy with Christ? Intimacy with the Father? Hearing the Spirit speak from the text? Have you been storing up this treasure? And are you willing to give these truths away? I heard a pastor who was telling me a story about, um, he wasn't telling me, I heard him tell this story. It was a large group of people. He said that there was a young woman in his church, and she was learning how to hear God's voice, and she was really working for intimacy and, and learning how to walk by the Spirit and, and follow Jesus. And she was walking back by a CVS, and she felt like she heard God say, Go into the CVS, go up to the cashier, and do a handstand in front of the cashier. (laughs) This is a true story. That's what she heard. Now, mind you, she's been asking. She's like, Lord, I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want you to speak to me. I want to engage. I want to engage in kingdom. I'm tired of playing Call of Duty. I want to engage in the real thing. Right? She's been asking. Then she received this. Walks in, <laughs> right? Walks in real sheepish. Cashier's there. I won't do it because my, my hip, I didn't want to, you know. <laughs> Handstand. Back up. As she's leaving, the cashier stops. Hey, 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 come here, come here. Cashier calls her over. And this cashier says to, to her, says, this is really weird. I said, yeah, this is really weird what you're doing. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. But just a second ago, I was, I told God, I said, God, if you're real, send somebody to come do a handstand in front of me right now. Now, now that's a true story. That cashier comes to faith in Christ. You have to at that point. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Comes to faith in Christ, joins the church of this pastor who is telling the story, and begins to follow Jesus. Now, that, that is a crazy example of someone saying, I'm going to treasure the words that I'm learning, that I'm hearing, and I'm going to give them away, even if it feels weird. Y'all hear me? Because that's good. The way I write sermons is, 
is a lot related to this. I'm going to do the exegetical work. I'm going to read commentaries. I'm going to make sure that I understand this. But then I'm going to come to the text. I'm going to say, Spirit, what do you want to say to my brothers and sisters? And then my heart starts to go, and I go, that's good. And then I go, okay, what else do you want to say to them? Because this is so good. And I wait, and I listen. My heart starts to burn. I'm like, yeah. And what's great about that is I have a lot of confidence in the spirit of the living God. Because some of you are getting right in your heart. But I'm not smart enough to know what to say to get you feeling that way. But the spirit of God does. And he's talking to every single one of you. <laughs> it's, not because the, it's not because the preaching is great. It's because the spirit of God is great. And when you're committed to treasuring it and giving it away, watch the kingdom break out. I'm telling you, watch the kingdom break out. There are people in your life, there's co-workers, there's neighbors, there's family members that are literally starving, starving to hear from God. And we're here in Bible studies, we're listening to sermons, we're listening to podcasts, we're doing all of this study while people are literally starving to hear from God. Why don't we get in the word and then do something with the word and give it away? Are y'all here? So let's apply this. Let's apply this. Here's the application. Every day, store up some treasure by encountering Jesus in the word. And then look for who you can give that revelation away to in the next 24 hours. Let me just break it down. First... Get in the word and intentionally practice the presence of God. Practice communion with God. So this is what I'm talking about with, uh, open it up, stopwatch. I'm not going to even engage with my wife. I'm just reading the love letters. That's foolishness and it doesn't work. And that's why Bible reading is boring for many of us. The Bible was so boring for me for many years. And as a good, you know, Puritan inspired, do it, do it, do it guy. I just did it, did it, did it. I read through the text five, six times, you know, once a year, just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And it was boring. I'm I'm just letting the air out of the balloon because for some of you, it feels the exact same way. If it's boring, I'm saying this in all love, if reading the Bible is boring, then you're reading it wrong. So when I come to the text, I'm I'm not just reading and got my stopwatch and I'm supposed to read one chapter. That's a bunch of baloney. I'm reading and I'm engaging the author of the text. So you do that. Read relationally. I'm reading the text. I'm asking, what, what, what does this mean? Why did you write this here? Who am I in the text? What's going on? I read relationally. It's key. I'm telling you, if, if you just put that into practice, life will be very different for you tomorrow morning. Your quiet time will be very different tomorrow morning. If you will read the Bible and pray relationally, rather than it's an assignment, it's homework, I got to do it. Dennis said do it, Jamie said do it, and we got to do it. That don't work. Eventually you will wear out and you'll stop. But if I read it and the author who wrote it to me loves me and I'm encountering him, now I'm having some fun. (laughs) Get in the word and intentionally practice communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're storing up treasure. Old Testament, New Testament, you're storing treasure. You're storing it away. The Bible says Mary treasured these things in her heart. She saw, she saw these wise men giving gifts. It says, 
She treasured these things. She treasured that moment, that holy moment. She treasured it in her heart. So treasure these things. Second, so first, get in the Word and intentionally engage with communion with God. Secondly, don't settle for reading the Bible and walking away unchanged. Don't settle. Okay. If we believe that this is living and active, then I'm going to keep going after it until I hear it and my heart starts to burn. Are you all following me? The litmus test is not the stopwatch. The litmus test is have I engaged with God? Communion is the goal, not knowledge. So don't open the closet for 15 minutes and slam it shut when you're done. Actually, he said, pray without ceasing, the Bible says. This is, this is I'm walking in this, in this ethos. Kingdom impact, kingdom leadership. Your greatest leadership in the kingdom is directly tied to your encountering God in the word. You want to grow in kingdom leadership? You want to do Avengers stuff for real? Encounter God in the word. You want, to get, you, you want to experience the rush of saving somebody in some video game? How about just engage with the creator of the universe who loves you in the word and then give it away? I'm, I'm telling you, somebody needs to hear it. Somebody needs to hear it this morning. Don't settle. Wait till your heart burns. There's going to come a point your heart will go, yes, yes. Third and final. Be looking for someone to give away what you've learned and heard from the word. Be on the lookout. Be on the lookout. See, this actually makes it like a treasure hunt, fun adventure. Rather than, okay, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do, my, do that meeting. And then I got to eat lunch. I don't know. But what if, what if your encounter with God revealed something that you get to share with someone and the kingdom breaks out in the next 24 hours. What if that was your life? It can and should be. Jesus said, I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. <laughs> be looking for someone and give away this treasure. Okay, so two illustrations Statistics and researchers say, millennials and younger, we need a visual picture. What are you saying, Jamie? What do you say? What's the big picture? I need to see what you're saying. So I've got two illustrations. One's a biblical illustration, and one is a painting. So we'll be real civilized and cultured here. <laughs> Luke chapter 24. So just close your eyes and just picture this story. Luke chapter 24. Because this story perfectly pictures, illustrates what I'm saying. Luke 24, just picture it. That very day, two of them, of the disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? <laughs> and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, 
A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, but before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with him gathered together. And they were saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them. In the breaking of bread. An Italian painter named Caravaggio painted this painting. It's called the Separate Emmaus. It's a little dark to see. You see Jesus there in the middle? Look at this guy on the right with his hands out, just like demonstrative, like, whoa, what are you saying? But the one I really want you to see is look at the green jacket here on the left. Do you see the way he's postured in that chair? Do you see that? Hands on the armrest, leaning in. Do you see how the intensity of his eyes right at Jesus? you see that? That's what I'm talking about. Leaning in. Leaning into Jesus. Leaning into the kingdom. Having your heart burning within you in the word with relational intimacy with Jesus. Leaning in. People in your life need you to lean in tomorrow morning. People in your life are dying for this right here. For you to engage with Christ in the word. Lean in. That's the picture. Lean in. Lean in tomorrow morning. Lean in. We've got communion that we're going to have in just a second. Lean in. Don't, don't just take the bread, dunk it in the juice. and What? Lean in. Ask Jesus, how are you uniquely manifest here with me? How is this bread your, your body? And how is this juice your blood shed from me? Jesus is the host. Jamie's not the host. Jesus is the host. Lean in. We're going to have prayer servants in the corners. I'm going to be here. You may just need to just receive prayer. Lean in this week. Kingdom leadership and impact comes when we are transformed by the Spirit of God as we encounter Jesus in His Word and as we give away the Father's love and revelation to those around us. Let's pray. Father, we come. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your revelation. I thank you that you are speaking to your people. 
And Father, as we come to the table, I ask that that you would help us to see Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear you? Would you give us boldness to lean in this week? To store up treasures, old and new, and to give them away. So meet your people at the table. And help us to lean in. In Jesus' name, amen. We've got prayer servants in the corner. The table is open. You come.